same day. Um, isn't it funny? Give me a nod if some of your experiences of being feeling the closest to the Lord have been through a time of suffering. Isn't it strange how he tends to deliver things in such a complex manner, right? We try to make everything all this or all that or group emotion, you know, as a single thing. Even when we're talking about joy, we're not talking about happiness, are we? We're talking about that deeper, you know, walk with the Lord is an invitation to deeper dwelling, right? We're talking about a joy that surpasses comprehension, a joy that can be experienced in spite of the statistics, right? In spite of what the numbers indicate our feelings should be. Um, a joy in spite of the clarity of our future. And so, although initially I think it's ironic that we would plan gratitude and suffering on the same day, on the other hand, it really makes a lot of sense. Um, because in, in both, we're looking at what does it mean to walk out this faith in a manner where we really believe the words that we're singing? Um, you know, we just sang, Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. If we don't experience his deliverance through suffering, meeting us in those fiery furnaces, we won't know how powerful he is. If things were just, you know, white picket fences all the time, why in the world would we need a God? If, if our life was, you know, just moving along, moving along, I don't think we'd even experience joy to its fullest measure. I think we'd be left with what culture tends to offer, which is this surface level happiness that has nothing to it when you really start to push up against it. So the point of, this is our first round of Anchor and Apply. We're going to do this five times during the Bible study. And the point is to pause from the chapter that, not the chapter, the book that we're going through and reflect on topics that are touched upon in the book, um, but also topics that can interfere with our ability to really engage with the book. So. For the first one, we chose suffering because we've just been talking about sin. You know, we're talking about the law, then we're talking about sin, which interferes with our ability to engage with the law. And sin leads to suffering, right? We are walking in a sin-saturated world. And so suffering is a natural outpouring of that. Um, our choices, the choices of others that rub on us, um, our walking in broken bodies. You know, when we think back to the Garden of Eden, God designed us to have total vulnerability and intimacy with him and with one another. And that lasted about, what, 2.7 days. And then we got the notion... 
I think I can do this on my own. And we chose self-sufficiency over God-dependency and income sin. And sin has been working to create barriers between us and the Lord. Sin has been working to create barriers between us and one another to bind us and shut us off through guilt and shame and cripple us at the knee through a distorted view of suffering, a distorted view that would suggest God doesn't care about you and maybe God's not even real. Because if a good God existed, why in the world would he let you go through what you're going through? And holy cow, I'd like to get through this without crying. Just <laughs> once, please. <laughs> oh, You know, Christ, um, John 16, 33, in this world you will have trouble, uh, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And that is a statement that should be in bold with 5,000 exclamation points, allowing us to stand firmly. Let's think about our posture this morning. We were designed to be warriors, and we were designed to be warriors boldly moving through this fallen, sin-filled world, that we could be his hands and feet, that we could be his representatives, that we could speak to deeper that joy that exists that moves us through on a deeper level, that allows us to walk through this war-torn place. Because, you know, we might live in pretty America, but if we had our blinders off, we are living in Syria. It, we are surrounded by death and dying and people who are desperate for something deeper. Our primary text is Psalm 30. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you have healed me. You have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face. I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plea for mercy. What profit is there in my death? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O oh Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. In your Bible, it may include the note that Psalm 30 is a psalm of David for the dedication of the temple. I thought that was odd. So I wanted to dig into it a little bit. And a Jewish theologian offered two suggestions that made sense to me. First, the experience of fear and weeping at night is shared by all humanity, and verse 5 celebrates tears may linger during the night, 
but joy is found at dawn. In so doing, it takes the praying Jew from the formality of study to the reality of the joy that can be found in the presence of God. It invites us to find balance between study and praise, between mind and soul. So a quick side note on that. Keep in mind that if this is included in the dedication of the temple, it's part of a liturgy, and the other portions of that liturgy had to do with sacrifice, and they had to do with justice. So it was looking at the law and looking at values. And so he's suggesting this is a reminder of why we're doing the things we're doing, because we serve a mighty God. And the second part is that this psalm, it's a suggestion, because keep in mind, David wasn't even around when the temple was built. And this theologian is suggesting that we're not really talking about the dedication of a building. We're talking about the dedication of us as his vessels, that we are his temples. And that um, each of us might be seen as a vessel that can, if we so choose, be dedicated to the service of God. And I thought that was so important as we move into practicals around the topic of suffering. Because, you know, I feel like this is a check your badge at the gate kind of situation. Like, if we're going to really have an honest look at suffering, we've got to check our motives. It, are we coming to him as his vessels, or are we coming to him as an authority over him? Um, we're going to give examples in scripture of some very honest, he invites incredibly honest um, pushback when it comes to suffering, but checking our posture with that, that it's pushed back as his kids in pain, as his vessels trying to figure out how in the world can I be used when I feel so cracked? It's not pushed back in terms of what I think our culture, unfortunately, can set us up for. And that is my rights and my entitlement. And if this doesn't make sense to me, it must be wrong. And we've got to be careful. And it's OK if we fall into that place. He knows. You know, he chose us to be born at this place and at this time, right? He knows the, the filters that we tend to run things through. Um, but it's one of those check your posture before you come in to the engagement. So um, I want to talk about some steps. And I've got to apologize. In addition to emotion, I've got a cold. So I hope that <laughs> I'm glad nobody's filming this because I'm like, ah. Um, OK. So when we talk about hard topics, I think it's useful to approach it from two angles. One is, what are some things that can help me so often 
we, um, some distortion has taken place, a tilting takes place. And so the first route is, what are some steps I can run through that will correct that tilt and, and get me in center, back to center? Now, just like anything in life, it's uh, generally change and growth happen when we're in uh, a healthier space. So if you're in a spot right now where you're dealing with some major suffering, it's not realistic to expect to be able to move through all these different steps. And that's where the second route comes in. And that is, we are women walking with people through suffering. And, um, and so tucking away tips that can help us as we're journeying with them. Uh, so I'll have the first set is more specific to us. The second set is more specific to others. But here's the thing. Both can, they're interchangeable. And um, I'm going to present this first, step, uh, first set as steps. But it's not use flexibility with that. It's not meant to be an all exhaustive um, list. And it's not meant to be you know, a rigid, check this one off the box, and then you move to this one. No, it's just more, hey, as, as we practice an open posture, um, as we practice an honest dialogue with the Lord, uh, these are some things that can help get us back to center. So uh, step one is be honest. Holy cow, and probably any time you've ever heard me talk about anything, step one is be honest. <laughs> uh, because we're so good at going through the motions even with ourselves. And we're so busy that we often don't even have time to drill down if the honest answer is more than two layers below the surface. So it's important to practice a life of honesty so that you don't have to try to drill down, so that um, you have a more clear sense of where you're at. Part of practicing honesty is forming a comfortable relationship with yourself. And until you're comfortable with yourself, you're not going to fully be comfortable with others. Right? That's another point of anchor and abide is, look, we're wanting to really, I know your hearts are to apply the principles that we're learning through Romans. But if you're not comfortable with yourself, if you don't have an honest relationship with yourself, you're going to struggle. And you're going to work so hard and go, why is there very little movement happening? It's because there's still all this barrier going on that interferes with that uh, vulnerability that we were designed to have with him and then how that can outpour to others. When Job lost everything, he tore his robe, shaved his head, and fell to the ground. And in this he sinned not. And I love that. Because we struggle to even raise our hands during worship. Are we ever this honest about how things affect us? But our insides, 
if we got down to, you know, that honest place, our insides are reacting like that. Our go-to response tends to be to turn within and turn away. This is a byproduct of sin. This is a byproduct of that self-sufficiency that we chose, that idea that we could do things better. So now it's, we're set up to fail, basically, through the sin system. And part of that is um, that we have to fight against because our go-to response will be to turn within and turn away. And so we have to fight against that so that we can turn towards and turn to. Honesty is one of the major tools that can counteract this tendency because it acts to draw out that which we are stuffing in and stuffing down. And I could have a whole huge side note on stuffing. Um, Work on that. Let's just say that. (laughs) Step two. Lean towards God in your honesty. In Psalm 88, Heman, who was one of Israel's worship leaders, he's depressed, he's angry, he's accusatory, he suggests that God has turned his back on him, And he describes darkness, which some say is sleep, as his closest friend. He is saying, sleep brings me more comfort than you do. Where have you gone? Why have you abandoned me? But here's the catch. Haman's saying all of this to God. He is giving brutal honesty, but he is delivering it to the feet of God. Rage at him, plead with him, lay at his feet, seek his face. Whatever emotion you need to go through to process your experience, do them with him. He will give you strength. And just like Haman, as demonstrated by the other songs that he wrote, God will give you a new song. Here's the other thing that's amazing. I think it's one of the miracles of the God-man dynamic. When we're in that place, like if we're in that Haman place, it's because we are so full. I mean, we are done, like done, done. And there doesn't seem to be any way out because we're also fixers. So if there was a solution, we would have done it. 35 steps before we were done, right? 35 levels before we got there, we would have done it. But one of the amazing things, it's like that woman with that jar of oil. God is doing this in our lives all the time. You pour out in trust, I will fill you up. You pour out to me, I will give you tenfold. And so in the invitation with Haman, it is you pour out your rage on me and I will respond to you with strength. 
He's so generous. You pour out your fear, I will respond to you in peace. You give me your ugly, and I will give you beauty. And he, it's never a return for what we offer him. It is a return 35,000 million times bigger and grander than what we give him. But we have to give him. Practice leaning into him through the highs, through the lows, through the unknowns. Step three, clear your vision. Time and time again, we elevate good things. Family, health, work, ministry, home, food, above Christ, all the time. We are all guilty of it. And the deeper you are into church, oftentimes the guiltier you are. Because you have more good works that you're connected in with, and we keep putting them up there instead of him. And if we're not, again, these tendencies, so just like draw within, draw away, the go-to tendency of living in a world of sin is that we will elevate created things above the creator. That is just how it's going to go automatically. So if we're not actively fighting against that tendency, we are walking under that reality. And while it's okay to glean satisfaction and value from the good things in our lives, he wants us to enjoy the good things. I mean, even money, you know, he wants us to enjoy and find pleasure in the things he has gifted us with, our abilities, our region of splendor and abundance. Um, they're not designed to hold the weight. And so we elevate them as if they're on the throne and we stand on them as if they're the rock and they crumble and we get frustrated and we get scared and we get mad, but we're not looking down to recognize we were standing on things that weren't meant to sustain our weight. Only Christ can truly sustain us, right? So part of these steps is getting into the habit of asking yourself questions and checking. Check your posture. Are you looking to things that aren't him? Are you looking to a man instead of Christ? Are you looking to a dream instead of Christ? It might even be a dream that he gave you. But it's not supposed to fill your vision or be your driving force. Are you looking to an act of service instead of him? And the list could go on and on and on and on. Are you standing on something instead of Christ? So check up and check down and make a correction quickly. <laughs> because here's the catch. The storms of life are going to keep coming. And if we're not on the rock, what happens? And if we're looking to something as our savior and that something gets sick, what happens? 
there's an old hymn that reminds us of this truth. And I, I had considered singing it, but I am not going to attempt that. <laughs> um, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Yeah. You know what? Let's take a minute and just sing that just a couple lines together. Um, can someone lead so that I'm not? Yeah. Do you guys know? No. Too much. Too, yeah. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth become sweet in the So when we're going through suffering, we put truth on repeat. Surround yourself with it. When you're driving, you listen to things that are going to pour truth over your heart. Put truth in front of you. I mean, any input that you can get, just soak and saturate. And the message of that song is a phrase that's become pretty popular in thinking about our best yes. He is our best yes. And when our eyes are focused on him and our feet are planted on him, that truth anchors in. We believe it because we're stronger than we are, than we could be in any other posture. Um, satisfaction runs deeper, joy runs deeper. I mean, the benefits down the line, everything is richer. When we remember that he's our best, yes. Step four, look to the cross. We may not know the why of our suffering, but it can't be that God doesn't care or that he doesn't understand pain. Tim Keller draws the parallel between Christ entering the fiery furnace to rescue Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Christ entering his own fiery furnace to rescue us. His presence will sustain us, as described in Isaiah 43:2. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. It's important to uh, be in the habit of looking back so that we draw strength to continue moving forward. So stories like his presence in the fiery furnace remind us that he is present in our fiery furnace. We talk about the cross all the time, but thinking about that image of him looking into the cup of wrath and anticipating a fiery furnace that extended far beyond anything that that we have ever or will ever experience and he chose that and he chose that for you he chose that for me he loves us that much 
also to get into the habit of looking back on our own lives, even through acts like the mindfulness, the um, exercise of gratitude, and looking back for the evidence of his hand in our midst. And that fuels us when we need the courage to trust that he is still present even when we can't see him. Step five, draw hope from the promise of a better future. This life is merely a shadow of the things to come. God is in the business of redeeming. At the end of Job's story, everything was restored twofold except for his children. Ten had been lost and ten were given. Commentators suggest the message to Job was that he would someday reunite with his ten lost children. First Corinthians 15.52 gives a beautiful promise. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. Then shall come to pass the saying, death is swallowed up in victory. Not just counteracted by victory. Not just accommodated by, you know, a partial. My goodness, I'm sorry, guys. You know what? We talk about vulnerability. I'm just demonstrating to you how to be totally vulnerable. Like, there's nothing else. Uh, death will be absolutely swallowed up, devoured in victory. Thank you. Uh, Revelations 21.4. He will wipe away every tear from our eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain, for the former things have passed away. Look, we probably each have three to five questions that we might not know the answer to until heaven. And even that, you know, maybe then the questions will disappear because they no longer matter. We have a lot of whys. But I, th I think when it comes to clearing our vision, looking to the cross, drawing hope from the better future, it's important to remember the greater story that we're a part of. You know, we talked about Adam and Eve, and how mankind chose self-sufficiency over God-dependency. And here's the amazing thing about our God. He didn't say, all right, peace out. I'm done with you. You know, figure it out on your own. No, he has been pursuing us and redeeming us and restoring us actively, passionately, all throughout the Old Testament, Redemption, redemption, redemption. You cheat on me. You, you know, choose other things over me. You pull away from me. You know, you go look for happiness over here, and I will still pursue you. I will still redeem you. I will still give you hope and a new life. Christ, looking into the cup of wrath, saying, I'm in. 
I'm in for you because I love you, because I want you to be restored back to that place of total vulnerability with me and total vulnerability with one another. And then the promise of a day to come when death is defeated finally. And we get, sometimes I think it's harder living in a pretty place because, you know, when we talk about those things that go up on the throne, um, essentially it's this motion of I'm getting so caught up in my life here, this life that I've built, this life that I'm cultivating, that I lose sight all the time of the reality that this is just a finger snap. It's like when Beckett Cook came and talked to us. And I don't know about you guys, but his words convicted far beyond the specific issues that he was addressing. And one of the things that he was talking about was when he had that God encounter, his, like the beauty of God replaced all of the things around him, all of the created things that were suggesting, I will satisfy you, I will please you, I will make you happy. I need that reminder because all the time I'm looking to this life as if this life is it. This life is not it. This is not the end of our story. I was listening to um, uh, uh, Stephen Furtick. I don't know. He might be a little too laugh for some of you, but um, he's fun to listen to. And um, one of the things he was saying is scenes. He was talking about the um, Shechemite a woman that create, built the room for Elisha. And, um, and then you get a snapshot of her later, and you find out she's been barren for a long time, and she's given a son. And then you get a snapshot of her later, the son dies, and then is brought back to life. And then you get a snapshot of her later, and she's going through major famine. And in using the example of her life, his point was we walk through scenes, and we get stuck in the scene as if the scene is the story, and the scene's not the story. And so one of the acts that we want to practice and part of this step in keeping our eyes remembering that better future that we're working towards and the promise that our tears will be wiped away for good is we want to practice this act of stepping out of a single scene, whether it's our scene or the scene of plenty of us are frustrated over somebody else's scene. Sure wish that one would <laughs> change. And we get stuck in that scene as if it's the story. So practice stepping out from it, getting that broader look of our stories and remembering his story, that we are players in the greatest story ever told. And that is a story of... God creating man, man moving away from God, God pursuing man, God redeeming man, and God restoring man back to that place of intimacy.
All right, let's take a look at what we can do to help other people. So I want you to think about this acronym LIFTER. It's not a perfect acronym. Um, well, nothing, why do I even say that? Nothing's perfect. Um, but the picture with this, the reason we would think of a word like lifter is as we recognize Christ's ability to lift our heads, part of being an outpouring of his love onto other people is that we would move around our spheres lifting the heads of those around us. And that we could become a body of women who, when we cross paths, we are practicing through our words, through our nonverbal, through the hope that we hang on to, we are practicing lifting the head of those we're in community with. And then as we move out through this desolate, don't get caught in the illusion of pretty, it's desolate landscape, that our eyes would be open to opportunities to lift the heads of those around us. And that we would recognize that this can be done actually in very simple ways. So the first thing I wanna say when it comes to helping other people, I feel compelled whenever I'm with a group of women to offer the reminder that our job is not to carry all the people around us. Our job is not to fix the people in our lives. Um, our job is not to walk through their whole story. Uh, your, your part in it might be 10 seconds in a single scene. But there are things you can do to uh, have an impact in those 10 seconds. So the first thing we want to think about is listen. Practice listening. And let's be realistic about this. In order to be able to listen, my level has to be lower. I have to be less distracted. Um, I have to care. Right? I mean, there are some really basic things, but can be complex. Um, if, if I'm, you know, walking around at 120% capacity, I'm going to have a really hard time listening with any sort of meaning. I might go through the motions. I'm probably sitting at the table with you, answering the questions along with you, but I'm not really listening. When we look at Job, uh, we tend to hate on his friends a little bit, but we miss the fact that before they opened their mouths and gave some questionable advice, they sat with him for seven days. They sat with him in his pain. Think about that picture we had. He shaved his head. He has done some things that are physical demonstrations of his internal torment. It had to be really uncomfortable to sit with him, and yet they stayed. What kind of willpower, what kind of tolerance does that take to sit with someone? So this is part of being honest with yourself, is 
having an honest look at what are the things that interfere with my ability to listen. Sometimes it's something like I don't have healthy examples of anger. So if somebody is sharing and their voice raises to a certain level or they start tossing in cuss words or, you know, raging at God, like I'm withdrawing because I don't know how to be with them. It is feeling unsafe to me. And when I'm in my head, I don't think this friend is unsafe, but my instinct is to respond as if that's happening. So I might still be with them physically, but I'm not present inside. So sometimes it's expanding our tolerance around certain emotions. Sometimes it's um, expanding our comfort with hard questions. Did you know that there are certain personalities Often they are our worship leaders, not to make assumptions. So this, not you, but, you know, thinking about, like, we could see this among kids and that sort of thing where um, certain personalities that tend to be drawn more to the arts often dwell down into deep places. And guess what happens in deep places? Darkness. Like when we look at the bottom of the ocean, there are some funky creatures down there, right? And so dwelling in deep places can bring intense emotion and can bring about some really gnarly wrestling and questioning. And so there are some personalities, and it's not exclusively artists, but there are some personalities that are just naturally going to question their faith more because they're like, this is kind of their language, you know? They're, they're asking hard stuff. They're putting, you know, hard things out there. Or they're in like, you know a mood that just like they're questioning everything and what is satisfaction and what it, you know. So building, like to sit with someone and allow truly authentic sharing means that we have expanded our comfort for things that seem risky. The second one is invite. And this is a posture. This is just practicing an open posture. Um, it's an invitation of warmth. It's an invitation to his comforting presence. This is a posture, not words. When someone is in a place of suffering, often it's a dark tunnel, but it's one of those long tunnels where you can't see the sunlight at the other end. So they might believe that the sun is still there, but they might be in a space of, I just can't even. And so you're inviting them to hold, like it's this openness where you will hold that hope for them. And, um, and you will, through because you are leaning in to God, be like them being in your presence is an offshoot of being in his presence like it's naturally flowing out of you so even if they're in a space of i can't listen to a sermon i can't listen to worship song, like i can't do any of those things that would actually be soul food 
but your presence, this doesn't mean you're handing them verses and this doesn't mean you're telling them to, you know, why haven't you been at church or go, you know what I mean? Like, but it's just, you are open and you are um, there with them. And that bleeds into friendship, which is looking at, I'm, I'm walking with you. It's recognizing that um, we are on these journeys, it, that the story, uh, the story of our lives and as it connects in with his story, that, um, that there's a movement. It's, we're not stuck in this single scene. And it's saying that, hey, I'm willing to walk with you through, through the highs, through the lows. I can handle it. You know, it, you're at a spot where you're feeling particularly cynical about a close family member, and then you're immediately followed by guilt that you expressed some frustration. But guess what? I know your heart. Like, I know that that's not the whole you. That's just a little piece that needed to be shared. But I, I know your heart in it. And if, if there was something that was really concerning, I'd call you out on it. But otherwise, I can handle that expression because I know that's not the whole, the whole picture. Time. We live in a hurried culture. Slow down. Um, yeah. It, look, this... I mean, we could do a whole side thing on how to be healthy through the holidays, right? Like, this, this might, right, this might, um, I don't think it actually is, but we could. <laughs> yeah. uh, look, time. This might take discipline. This might mean you have removed things. And I know some of you have gone through this, where you entered a season of your life where you just had a sense that God was asking you to say no and no, no, and all of a sudden you have these open spaces on your calendar and you weren't quite sure why, and then guess what? Somebody in your midst, you have an opportunity to walk with them through suffering, and it takes time that you wouldn't have had before. So listening to his promptings with that. And this is another, when our eyes are fixed on him instead of the things, it's easier to say no, even if the no has to do with our giftings even if the no has to do with a dream. We're not as afraid about that because we're leaning in, we're focused on him and we're trusting. It'll come back around, there'll be another time. But if you're prompting me to say no or to step away from this, I'm gonna trust that because I believe there's a reason for it. Um, encourage, suffering tends to block our vision of hope. Allow your sister room to doubt, hold hope for her. And remember, you're drawing hope from past evidence of his presence and restoration. You believe in his power as redeemer. And that is what gives you courage and sustains you as you walk through with her. Now, quick side note on these tips. And guys, I know I ran no, it's long. So I, <laughs> um, this comes in different forms. So like these lifter things, that's going to look different with someone who's close to us, who we have, you know, a longer relationship with versus someone who shares honestly on a Thursday morning and maybe I just met her, but I have an opportunity to um, sit with her and listen with 
empathy and care and um, hold hope for her. And like we can practice these things whether we're engaging with someone at retreat, engaging with a neighbor, you know, through the pickup line, and they just happen to expose, ah, here's, you know, my marriage is falling apart, or like whatever happens, because as soon as we open our eyes, like we do start to see the decay, right? Um, so just go easy on yourselves as you move through these things. Um, practice a tender tone towards yourself. Um, don't approach any of this as more burden to carry, but more encouragement to open up and to recognize maybe the one thing that I can work on. Like, you know, maybe my adult kids aren't calling as often because I'm really lousy at listening to them. Like they start to share and then I jump in with three of my own stories. Or I jump into telling them what I think they should do about it. They don't want to hear what I think they should do about it. <coughs> and I, I think that like the, the core of it would be going back to step one, right? Which is at the end of the day, you start with, I lay my head down and I have an honest exchange with you. And um, I'm navigating the world, but before I can really do that well, I have to have an honest look within. Thank you. Thank you. All right, I'm going to let you go really fast. You've got, you know what? 